do 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 Yes, that is the Olympic theme song or my poor rendition of it, but I'm Logan, one of your co-hosts with the Better Events podcast. And this week we are talking all things Olympics because, spoiler alert, I just got back from working the Tokyo Olympics uh, as a venue producer for indoor volleyball. And I sit down with Mary and share more about that experience, what it's like working for the Olympics, what work opportunities there are out for you, if it's your dream about working for the Olympics one day, and just a couple lessons that we can all learn as business owners from watching the Olympics and the amazing Olympic athletes. And if you're loving this podcast, feel free to leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts that helps other people like yourselves find us and join us in this amazing event community. Without further ado, let's get into this Olympic-themed podcast. And we're back. Another episode of the Better Events podcast. I'm Logan, one of your co-hosts, joined by Mary, fellow co-host. Hey, Mary. Hello. So this week, we have a very exciting episode where I'm going to put my sports nerd hat on a little bit, Um, but we're going to talk all about a my dream gig that I just wrapped up of the Tokyo Olympics. And I feel like the best way to kick this off, both to talk about my experience or if you're someone listening, you're interested in working at the Olympics, I'll talk a little bit about those opportunities, and then we'll kind of tie a big bow on... um, about as some lessons you can learn from watching the top athletes in the world. But I feel like to, to start us off, and I, Mary, I'm very curious for this one. What is your was what was your favorite sport to watch at the Tokyo Olympics? Well, I would say so. My family they're really into uh, board sports, and so for that reason, I would say those type of sports. So specifically, having skateboarding in the Olympics this year was kind of an excitement for our household, and so I would say. Um, skateboarding, those that's probably what I watched the most of. Um, me personally, not a skateboarder, but it was fun to see them in the Olympics in that kind of environment because we've watched other competitions, but then to see it transfer to the Olympics was pretty cool. So I will say that that was my favorite. I love that. That is great. I mean, for me, it's always hard to choose because they're also amazing. <laughs> I won't say volleyball because that was the sport I was working in, um, but excluding volleyball, I think – my favorite to watch was the track and field. Um, and I used to be a track athlete in college. So I think I just also have a soft spot. Um, but watching like the US, we had a US women win bronze in the women's marathon. And it was her third marathon ever winning or running. She's ever run. Um, and her third one, she wins bronze at the Olympics, which is pretty crazy. And then there was a beautiful moment that you guys should all go and Google if you haven't seen it of the two high jumpers. Um, I think it was an Italian and a jumper from Qatar who are friends and they decided to share gold because they had gotten to the same point of the same results, same results. And they had, were given the option by the officials to do a jump off, meaning only one person would win. And they were like, Hey, can we both have gold? And the officials said yes. And they, they opted to share the podium. So, so cool. Yeah. I love that. I, yeah, I've seen those moments on social media and it's super cool. And I have to say too, Based on our previous episode that we had of Get to Know Logan, when I was watching the track and field ones, I like kept <laughs> thinking about you because it was fresh in my mind. And anyway, so there's there's my little sentiment there. <laughs> I, I'll take that comparison. They're definitely like way more 
cooler and intense than I was. But yeah, I like to imagine that I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just d- diving deeper kind of into the Olympics and all about your experience there. I know. So like a third party, I guess, perspective of seeing your time there, it just sounds so amazing. And so I'm really excited to hear more about exactly what that looked like, how you got involved, um, and then just some overall things that you've learned from your experience that we can take on with us. So um, just to start off, so what was your role at the Olympics? Because I, I seen you know, First of all, everyone, go check out Logan's Instagram if you haven't already, which we'll link in the show notes because she does talk about it there. But for this purpose in our podcast, what was your role? What did you do? Yeah, well, I will, by the time we have this episode out, I will have posted a highlight of my stories that were all related to Tokyo 2020. Um, that was definitely, I, I posted way more of my stories than actual posts just because I knew I, I wanted to keep the spam to a limit if you didn't want to see it. But I also had a lot of people wanting to follow along. Um, I was the venue producer for indoor volleyball, men's and women's. And so I was actually hired by the Tokyo Olympic Committee. And I was one of two venue producers that we had for indoor volleyball. And my job was essentially to produce the in arena experience. And so this is coordinating all of the music, the MC, we had a DJ for the music, uh, any videos you saw, the lighting, um, starting lineups, national anthems, anything that was happening in the physical arena, we were in charge of. And normally, if there were fans in stands, we would be the ones entertaining the fans. So doing different games and activities and activations at timeouts uh, between matches, all of that. So it looked a little different because of COVID with no fans. We at one point were going to have local fans. And I think a week before I left or two weeks before they announced then no fans in stands. Um, and this was my second project that I've done since COVID where we have done an athletic competition without the fans in stands. So it's not something new. It's a little different than what we do. And I don't have, my job is not as comprehensive as it normally is, but it was still really fun to be creating that atmosphere for the athletes because they were still competing on the Olympic stage and making sure they had a great experience. So to accomplish that role, did you, especially cause it was in a different country, did you have much training experience or like what did they provide to you versus what were you able to kind of bring that helped you do, do it well? Yeah. So I used to live in China and I speak Mandarin Chinese. So I have was very familiar with kind of that part of the world, um, Chinese and Japanese. There's a little bit of overlap in how it's written, um, for if the kanji is what it's called, the characters. And so some of it I could read, which was kind of nice. Um, but I know I was selected kind of for the role because of my just comfort in Asia and being comfortable working in a different language. And so that was what was fun. I had been to Japan before. I'd been to Tokyo before. So it wasn't my first time. Um, and I luckily did not need to learn Japanese before going. I did have uh, what we called an AVP or an associate venue producer who was local and spoke Japanese and was able to kind of be that middle person. So I was bringing more of my international sports production background um, and my patience and willingness to, to, to learn about the local culture, but also teach some of these standards that the Olympic committee and things, they kind of copy from a lot of stuff that what we do in the U S and just kind of hold things to a higher standard than maybe other countries normally do when it comes to sports presentation or that experience inside the arena. Yeah. And so you've been involved in the Olympics in the, in the past, but this time it seems like it was different Am I right in saying that? And what what was the difference between the other times and this time? 
Yeah. So this was my second games that I got to go to. Um, my first games, I went as a volunteer. So I volunteered with Team USA. So I wasn't paid. I had to pay for my own flight, pay for my housing. They gave us food when we worked. Um, but I volunteered with Team USA as a part of team processing, which is where you hand out the gear to the athletes, um, all the stuff they wear for opening ceremonies, a bunch of Nike stuff they wear while they're playing, and then their closing ceremonies outfits. And then um, for this, my goal at that games was volunteer and start to see what companies actually are hiring because the Olympics is the Olympics. I feel like we use it to be like, this is the Olympics of conferences, or this is the Olympics of nonprofits, you know, for when we describe something that's really big and complex. And so I was like, at the Olympics, there are so many things happening at once, like they have to use outside resources. And so my goal had been to kind of put on my investigative hat while I was volunteering and see what companies were working the games. And my goal was to come back and be paid to be there. So the Tokyo Olympics were my first paid gig, where um, they paid for my housing and my travel, and I got paid for my time because it was just something that I said I, I wanted to be a part of. I'm glad we touched on that because I know I've heard you talk about it was like one of your really big goals, like life goals. And so the fact that we're talking about this now is really amazing because you put the stepping stones in place, I feel like, to make it happen. And it actually worked out. And so it's just really cool. <laughs> I had to kind it's of a, point that out. It's a, Yeah, it's a weird feeling. I was talking about that before I went where it was very surreal and I'd gotten, so I'd, I had had this contract signed and decided back in 2019. Um, I was confirmed in November 2019 ahead of the games happening in 2020, July 2020. And then COVID happened and the games got postponed and my contract got canceled. So I felt like a part of my excitement that I was like, wow, I've really made something that's been a bucket list, a lifelong dream happen those feelings kind of got like bottled up inside and I felt like I kind of got jaded from last year. And so, um, I was very nervous for this year for it to happen. My contract didn't get confirmed till pretty late because they were still figuring out, are the games happening? You know, just the same we are in the event industry. Um, and so, yeah, the whole time, even being in the, at the Olympics, at the Tokyo Olympics, I felt like I needed to be pinched multiple times to be like, oh, this is actually happening. I'm actually here and getting to do it because it was just so much fun. And it was, it did end up being more than I could have hoped. And I'm hoping leading to working at future games and it won't be the last one. Yeah. I hope it's not the last one for you. It's, it just sounds so, and then we can do another episode later in the future because this podcast is still going to be going strong. Well, we Beijing, Beijing 2022 is literally in February. It's in six months. Well, you're right. Wait, that's crazy. That's yep. crazy. <laughs> yep. So if you're an Olympics fan, you're lucky because you don't have to wait as long. If you're someone who does like the logistics other side of the event, I'm also like, wow, there's not a lot of time between Tokyo and uh, the Beijing yeah, Olympics. That's so soon. That's like that like stresses me out for them to be completely honest. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize it was so soon. <laughs> it's it's gonna look. I'm, yeah, I'm curious to see what it also looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So. What was your most surprising part about working at the games? I think, again, it was still, despite having, you know, all the COVID precautions that we had um, and plans and things like that and not having fans and just having it be such an unprecedented games, I was still surprised that it still felt like the Olympics. And what was interesting to me was I was having questions from friends here in the U.S. who were asking me, like, the games are still happening. Are you going to still be going? And this was like when I'm in Tokyo. So a couple of days before the games were supposed to start, I had people asking me if the games were still going to happen based on media reports in the U S and I was like, the games are happening. Like they're here, they're happening. 
And it was just that magical feeling when the athletes actually are playing and you realize like, this is my dream to work at the Olympics, but this is their like career dream to make an Olympic team and compete at an Olympics, like something that happens every four years for each you know summer and for winter, but every four years. And that like Olympic spirit was still there. And I think that was something I feel like I knew was still going to happen, but still after what the, you know, the last 18 months that we've all had, I was pleasantly surprised and inspired on a daily basis by, and especially as we started to get to the elimination rounds for volleyball, because 12 men's teams, 12 women's teams make it. But then for the quarterfinals, only the top eight. So the bottom four teams get eliminated. And we started, uh, once we got to that point, it was then kind of elimination each round and, just seeing the heartbreak on the faces of the players who were done and their Olympic journey was over. And if they were an older athlete, that might be their last Olympics and, you know, countered with the elation of the players that just won and are advancing. And maybe they didn't think they'd advance. And we were getting that every game, every day, and just, you know, how much these athletes cared. It was really special. That is super special. And probably a good reminder for you, like working the event, you're like, yeah, I just did this yesterday but this is a this is a new thing today gotta pretend like it's the first one and bring it the same energy and I think I texted you this actually or we talked about it I think when you were there but not having fans in the stands you mentioned that how was the energy to like was it harder for the athletes to I don't know it seems like maybe it would be less exciting for them because there's not people cheering them on yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it definitely set a tone um, that was different because you don't have the crowd to kind of get behind you um, in any sport. I think the crowd makes a big difference. And if one team's a little behind and there's a lot of people in the crowd supporting them, like they can kind of pick the energy up. Luckily for volleyball, they'd done the Volleyball Nations League, which is another international volleyball competition back in June that I worked in Italy. And that was also without fans. So I think the players kind of had felt what that, that feeling was of not having any fans there. So I think it wasn't completely new to them, but um, as you and I have talked about also in virtual events, like there's some energy transfer that doesn't fully happen uh, depending on your kind of an event. And I think a live sporting event is that, but um, we just relied a lot more like on our DJ who plays all the music to really bring that feel and that momentum when one team starting to come back, you know, start Mm -hmm. trying to pick music that's a little more upbeat just to like kind of fuel that and see if you could help motivate um, and they still were able to have some fellow athletes and people from like their federation come and watch a very small number. It wasn't a lot of them, but like we noticed the impact of that, of just having, you know, the women's team coming out and supporting the men's team. You could see that just made a push and you didn't really see that on TV, but in the arena, you felt that. That's really cool. Yeah. I would have had no idea that that was the case, but I love it. And something else that you kind of have touched on too about the Olympics, which I just want to add to as well, is that it's. It's such a cool event. It's basically like a bunch of little events that make up this huge event, like a bunch of little events. It's a ton <laughs> of little events. <laughs> yeah. It's, it like blows my mind, the logistics. I can't even fathom. Well, I've worked on events where it's been a whole week leading up to one basketball game. And like in, I don't know even how many basketball games they had in the Tokyo Olympics, but for like volleyball, I mean, we had over 40 80, 80 games. Cause we had two teams and I know my team, we did 40 volleyball games <laughs> over the course of 12 days. And then there were three more days that I was, or four more days that I wasn't there for. So 16 total days of volleyball. Wow. Like, and like you said, it's just, it's a huge event in itself. That's then filled with all these tiny little events and tons of stakeholders that are super VIP and important and doing completely different things that yeah, logistically it's, 
it's amazing that it all happens, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. It's like a miracle in and of itself that, that this even takes place. Yeah. So, and I think it's just so cool, like all the countries coming together. Ah, it's way cool. So um, two, two questions for you that kind of have to do with the same thing. So let's say to our listeners, there's someone listening and they want to get involved in working the Olympics. How do they do it? And then along with that, what kind of jobs are there at the Olympics? Yeah. So maybe start first with the, what kind of jobs are there? And I will say literally any and every job. <laughs> There's so many jobs around the Olympics. Like we just said, it's a bunch of different, um, different events happening at once. And so there's, you know, transportation, there's accommodation, hospitality, sponsor hospitality. There's everything from working for like the actual Olympic committee, like I did to working for a specific country. I have friends, other event pros that have like they're just in with their local, their when I say local, but their their country Olympic committee, and so they help out their country's athletes or federation when they are on the ground at wherever the games are. Um, there was catering. I discovered like Team USA actually sets up a essentially a dining hall, but they called it a performance center, but a place where athletes can come and eat near the village, but not in the village. And they actually fly chefs from the U.S. out to cook the same food that they have in the U S and then hire some local staff as well to help. But like, that's a job as well. Um, I work that with DJs. It does. Because an athlete, they need their, their meal plan. So mind yeah. blown. Okay. Yeah. That was, again, it comes down to the Olympics. It is a lot of, you know, it's financially driven, but also medals are a big thing. And so there is a direct correlation between athlete performance and medals and, you know, what they eat surprisingly. But, um, but yeah, and even what I do with sports presentation, I mean, there's MCs, there's DJs, there's audio engineers. My audio engineers I worked with, they normally work on the West End in theater. One of them did. It was really cool in London. And she was here working at volleyball, working volleyball at the Olympics. So um, there's a lot of like non-traditional paths um, specifically for kind of how to find those gigs. Um, volunteering honestly was the best, my best foot in the door of first seeing what was happening on the ground and then understanding where in this massive puzzle of event stuff I wanted to fit, um, because there's so many different opportunities and there's not one job board you could go to online and find things. And I will say that the, the role that I got at the games was never listed online somewhere. It was never like a job application. This was, um, I got this through my network, um, getting recommended and then getting my foot in the door. And a lot of the other people in my role and similar roles, it was a lot of people that they'd worked with in the past or had gotten, again, word of mouth. Um, so it was all about more making connections with the people that you want to work with or have done the role that you're interested in versus filling out like a cover letter and a resume. Um, that being said, you can, if you're someone who likes logistics, um, Jet Set Sports, CoSports, that's uh, one company, I believe, but they do online applications that you can apply for. Um, and they do everything from like transportation to customer service to hospitality. Their role is much more either sponsor facing. So they do all the all of that for sponsors of the game. So like Coca-Cola, Visa, McDonald's, their executives have come over, they're managing their itineraries and logistics and things to private, like you and I, if we went over as fans and we purchased a travel package, we would maybe work with people from there. And so there's a lot of roles that they look for at the games and like the world cups and things like that. Um, and then just looking at all these different kind of little agencies, because again, it's such a big 
puzzle of logistics that they have to cut it up into smaller pieces. And so um, I kind of did a lot of heavy searching on LinkedIn. And then I just was also quite aggressive with anyone that I was meeting who worked in sports of saying that I like manifesting somewhat of this goal of I want to work at the Olympics and not really hiding it. And it felt weird at times, but I mean, it eventually worked out. So <laughs> if that is something that is like a dream of yours, don't be afraid to, to say it and don't be afraid to reach out to people who have done what you're interested in doing or at all remotely related to the games because you never know what it'll turn into. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is just a good reminder of like, business and searching for business in general, like just reach out, just ask. And this would be such a cool opportunity. And it sounds like there is a need, like what we talked about. It's a huge, I mean, I assume there's a need. There's probably a lot of people who want to be involved, but it's also a huge event. So. Well, there's always a need. There's always people like you think about it, like some people, maybe they don't want to do it anymore. They just get tired or something else comes up. Cause that was the other thing is like, I started my business because I knew people who work at the Olympics, you don't get hired year round. I mean, my contract with them was for four weeks. It was, you know, a short period of time, but I need to have other things to do to just to sustain me financially to do, to be able to be around and be available for those four weeks. Um, so, you know, don't get discouraged if you're not seeing stuff because there will always be opportunities, I think around the games. Um, and I know when I was a volunteer, I literally, I was talking to everyone, including like bartenders that I went to the Canada house to watch a game. And I was like talking to the bartenders, like, how did you get here? Like, you don't speak Korean, you know, and he worked for a catering company based out of the UK and they needed bartenders to come out and work the Canada house in South Korea. <laughs> and so he got chosen. So it's like, there's no direct paths to it. Um, and take that, see that as a, a strength. It might feel frustrating at times, but that's actually to your advantage. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, so many possibilities. I love it. I love it. So um, transitioning a bit, what can we learn from the Olympics as business owners? I think there's probably lots of things that you could say about this. There's lots of learning opportunities. I feel like when it comes to sports, which is also something that we touched on in your Get to Know Logan episode. So I'm just going to pass it to you. Tell us any and all your thoughts about that subject. Yeah, I, this is something I, and we can link in the show notes. I wrote about, I wrote an article after I went to the Winter Games in Pyeongchang in South Korea about six lessons about entrepreneurship that you can learn from the Olympics. So we'll link to that. But um I don't know, from watching, from being at the Olympics, or even if you're just someone watching it at home, I just feel like you can learn so many lessons. First one being perseverance. Um, these athletes, like we're watching a snapshot in their career of what they've achieved, how much work they put in, the practices, the sessions, the ups, the highs, the lows, you know, we're only seeing one piece of it. And for some of those athletes, it was like the highlight of their career for some athletes, you know, it maybe it wasn't, it wasn't the performance they wanted, but we are only seeing a piece of the puzzle. And so, wow, puzzles are coming up a lot in this episode, but um, as a business owner, I think it's just really something that you can remember when you're looking at other business owners, like on social media, or you meet them at a networking event and you have that imposter syndrome feeling where, wow, I'm not doing, you know, what all these other people are doing, or, you know, it's really tough right now. And everybody else has it so easy. Just remember you're seeing a snapshot or even listening to this podcast, like you guys are hearing a snapshot of what my journey as a business owner and event professional has been. And so the most important thing is to remember, you just still need to persevere through that because those athletes, like they only made it to the games because they pushed through whatever adversity they had to go through. And business owners, you're only gonna you know, win awards in your industry or get to whatever your dream gig is if you persevere. And a lot of times it's easier said than done. 
Um, but that's one that I always feel like as a business owner, we all go through our own personal Olympics <laughs> of having a business with all the different, it's like our own little personal, uh, what is it like decathlon where we have to do 10 different things and be like pretty decent at 10 different things, um, for just keeping our business afloat. And I think my next one would be for that would also be talking about coaching. A lot of times with the athletes, you would hear their like their speeches once they're once they've won a medal or their reaction. They're often thinking their coach or their family or their friends. They're they're people who've supported them along the way. And so I know Mary and I have talked about uh, off this podcast at times the power of having a good like business coach. But even if it's not a formal coach, like having you know, a network of people that you can talk to. I know, Mary, I lean on you all the time to bounce ideas off of or, you know, get outside of your own head. And there's a power in that um, that can help you get to the next level as a business owner versus if you try to stay the course all by yourself. And that's not saying you can't do it by yourself. I just find, again, look at the Olympics. How many of those athletes had coaches or somebody that they were thanking for helping them get where they were? So you can achieve a lot of cool things, but it's okay to ask for help. Um so those are like two of my big ones that I feel like as an owner, business owner, you can learn from the Olympics. Was there anything for you, Mary, that like inspired you from watching the games this year? Oh, well, first of all, I love what you said. Definitely. I like the tie-in a lot. I think it's really relevant, especially for, for my life. So yeah, um, I mean, they're just they're just amazing to me in general. And so for this year, it kind of is what I've I've hit on before when we were talking about um, athletics in your life, but I just like the amount of hard work that goes into being able to be there blows my mind a little bit. And so it's like what you said with perseverance, but just there's, you know, if we work hard, I think that our possibilities are kind of endless. Um, and so a lot of times when we're, you know, down deep into the work it can seem exhausting and like way too much to handle and maybe like a part of that is true but um just the hard work that you put in I just feel like it's so amazing when the payoff comes and I feel like that's I mean for me and probably for you Logan because you kind of hint, hint, hinted on this is that um when you're in business it's a lot of hard work but to be able to have the payoff in the end is just like the best feeling ever. It's not like we're like running marathons over here, but still it's, it seems similar. <laughs> no, but any, but you have to celebrate those moments and, you know, yeah. don't, don't downplay them, you know, just like they, there's a lot of stuff going on in social that was really funny about talking about a reporter being like, Oh, you got, you got a silver medal. You know, how disappointed are you that you're not first? And the athlete, it was like a actor pretending to be an athlete was like, are you kidding me? I'm a silver medalist. Like, I'm sorry, you, Mr. Reporter, like, are you a medalist? Like, I'm just happy to be here. This is great. And, you know, and to some people that would be like, yeah, it's, it's interpreted as failure. But to you, those are your like wins and whatever your wins look like, like celebrate them. Uh, and the best way I know is always if you can write down whatever your goals are or what you have done, sometimes that's helpful. If you feel like you're in a rut, like write down what you've been doing. And then you can look and be like, either like, wow, I'm doing a lot or revisit that list like two months ago, you know, two months from now, three months from now, um, just to like prove to yourself that you are having those like small wins and celebrate them in whatever way feels right to you. It's not going to look the same to everybody. Yeah. And I, that also just made me think of too, like, um, if we can challenge our, I don't know why I've been into challenges lately, challenge our listeners to, um, make a list of like the thing, the event, if you're an event professional, make a list of the events that you really, really want to be a part of. Um, 
And because that's like what Logan did, it sounds like, right? And then it, be able, yep. it was able to come to fruition. And so just go ahead and make that list, write those dreams down really quick. Maybe it is the Olympics. Maybe it's like, I don't know, the Macy's Day Parade. I'm just trying to think of like really big, noteworthy events. I mean, yeah. who cares? Whatever it is, write it down. And then maybe, maybe something will happen. Yeah, you know? it can be the Oscars. It could be South by Southwest. It could just be your state's largest nonprofits gala. You know, it could just be a general one. I want to help a, a nonprofit raise a million dollars, you know, it can really be anything. And that's kind of the, the cool part. Like my dream of going to the Olympics is not everybody else's dream. And that's, and that's fine. But to me, it was this sweet spot. Um, so yeah, I feel like that brings me to the end of all of, I feel like all I could, I don't want to nerd out too much for our listeners about how much I loved the experience and just the Olympics in general. Yeah. Well, I love it. I mean, I think it's been great. So thank you so much for taking the time to share your experience. And I'm excited for whatever is to come in your Olympic journey. Um, And so just to kind of wrap up what we've talked about, we've learned about Logan's experience with the Olympics. We've talked about the kind of jobs and how you could also get involved. We will make sure to link some of those suggestions in the show notes as well, for sure. Um, Feel free to reach out if you have any questions for Logan about her experience further. And then I think that was it. And so we're going to pass it over to Logan again for our bonus tip today. I'm going to keep this bonus tip in theme with the Olympic Games of if you are somebody who wants to go to the Olympics as a fan, I cannot high, like recommend more to volunteer with Team USA. The purely from the experience of getting to meet the other volunteers. So especially if you're someone who doesn't have a lot of friends who might want to go to the games with you, you might be going by yourself. There is this awesome community of volunteers from, this is specifically for audience in the US. I wouldn't be surprised if other countries have it as well, but like they go from games to games. And these are some of the most amazing and all over the place people and all over in the greatest of ways, meaning different careers, backgrounds, where they live. And it is a great way to experience the games in a different level because you do get to interface with the athletes a little bit. And then you have some built-in friends to go around and explore. And one of the most expensive things about the Olympics normally is the housing and finding a place to stay because a lot of the hotels jack up prices. And one way to mitigate that is to stay with other volunteers in a multi-bedroom Airbnb or, you know, if it's just you by yourself, staying in a multiple, you know, multiple people in a hotel room. Um, I cannot recommend it more. And again, it doesn't cost anything. You only get paid in food, but I highly recommend it. Check out, I think we'll put the link in the show notes for you, but essentially looking at teamusa.org for volunteer opportunities. Awesome. Ooh, well, I'm excited too. Well, thank you so much. Logan and everyone for listening and feel free to reach out to us. If you'd like to follow us at the better events pod on Instagram, you can also email us at better events pod at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening again today. And we will be back with you next Wednesday. Thank you. Bye everyone. Bye.